When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Molly McGrath is the adult daughter of a famed football coach who is desperate to be the head coach of her own team. When her wish is finally granted, Molly leaves her job coaching girls track at an affluent high school to take over a football team in an inner city Chicago high school, the kind of place where guard dogs are needed to patrol the campus. At first, the new coach's idealism and optimism are suffocated with racial and gender prejudice, but eventually her overriding spirit begins to whip her unruly team into shape in this formulaic 80s football flick. So grab your engraved stopwatch, leave your mark on the school locker, and put the cat costume on the dog to stand in as the mascot as Ron West and I discuss Wildcats from 1986 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. That's suited up and ready to play, coach. They gave Goldie Hawn a job. You think a woman can't be tough enough? Watch me. No one else would take. Front my purse. I don't intend to coach a bunch of losers. Put that out. Are you sure I'm the right person for this job? From here on out, I call the shot. Football had it coming. Goldie Hawn. Wildcats. Rated off. Now playing at a theater near you. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Of course, we have to do it. It's the sport of kings. Better than diamond diamond rings. rings. Football. What is it, Ron? Football. 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 (laughs) Football. All right, welcome in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. 
as I say with every episode, we've got a good one today, folks. Uh, maybe not the best movie we've ever seen, or even the best sports movie we've ever seen, but we're going to have a good time talking about it. So first, let's introduce my wonderful co-host, uh, friend of the podcast, friend of the podcast host, Mr. Ron West. I'm sorry, Ron the Rifleman West <laughs> is on the podcast with us. We're going to bring that back up again. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure to uh, uh, be on the podcast and to talk about these 80 movies, especially one that's taking me back to my childhood. When we talk about an 80s you know, a high school football movie and you were a high school football quarterback, we have to use your, your call sign, right? <laughs> that, well, that's fair enough. And we did do uh, All the Right Moves. Uh, so we've done we one high school 80s football movie, and so now we're doing uh, the other 80s high school football movie. Uh, I think there's only one other, right. one other one after this. And that's we're going to move up a decade to the 90s and start getting some Remember the Titans action uh, uh, going. Was that early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. Which, that's, our, that's the best high school football movie. <laughs> that is by far the best high school football Yeah, that is maybe... Was that 99 or 2000? It's right there. It's either 99 or 2000. It was right around that. around that On the cusp. On the cut, the millennial mark, yeah. We can look it up, but what that movie does not have is young Wesley Snipes and young Woody Harrelson <laughs> beginning <laughs> their beginning their pairing in movies together. So we get right. that in Wildcats. Yes, yes we do. Some a little bit more than others. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, well, let's jump right in. Ron, when did you see Wildcats for the first time? I was played football since the fourth grade. I was at <laughs> Wildcats as uh, my common answer at the theater in Bluefield, West Virginia. Uh, the weekend that it came out, saw it. Actually, saw it twice <laughs> on back-to-back weekends. Not much else to do or see at that time, so uh, watched it. <laughs> I remember as a child greatly enjoying Wildcats. What, what year is right. this Wildcats? 80, right. 85? 86? 86. Yeah, so I, I would have been 14, so it would have been uh, right before, right around 8th eighth, eighth grade, ninth grade, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, loved the sophomoric humor uh, of the time, so yeah, saw it in the movie yeah. theater. What yeah. about you? I did not see this in the theater. I'm not sure if I even knew about this movie in the theater. I saw a TV version of it probably a couple of years after it came out, which is far different. Way than, different, I'm sure. In the original. Like, I remember, like, and I think I recorded it when it came on because I love, I mean, I loved football. So I wanted, to, it was a football movie, so I recorded it. And so I would just watch it over and over again. But, you know, lots of uh, different language and, uh, you know, some of, some of uh, Woody Harrelson's, when he's the quarterback still, you know, his, uh, his call his, signs for the his, snap count. His, yeah, snap count phrases were were very different and didn't make much sense in the edited version. Uh, not like you know they were in the and, and, original. And Wesley Snipes probably was not actively trying to have sex with every woman that he encounters in the movie. For yeah, I don't remember. I just think they toned down. They probably edited. They toned it down somewhat. I mean, it was still. It was still a little more adult probably than I needed to see at the age that I saw it because. Yeah, 86. Let's say I saw it in 87, 88, because I'm a few years younger than you. So I was probably, yeah, sixth grade, seventh grade. So I was a little bit younger. Uh, but it was still, but it was funny. I mean, I remember there were things in it that made me laugh. Uh, sure. I love Nipsey Russell's Right. I mean, that was great. Right. Uh, but, but 
It's funny about this one because we'll talk about as we get into the talk about story origin and pre-production. All of my friends knew this movie, maybe because we all watched it on when it came on TV, but we would quote this movie a lot playing football. Like there was a lot of things that we would, you know, uh, say or there were like inside jokes from the movie that we would say among each other. So I don't think of this as a forgotten 80s flick, but when I try to go back and do research, there's really not much about it. And there's not a whole lot of people that seem to rem- that seem to remember it uh, all that fondly anyway. When was the last time you saw it before we rewatching it for the podcast? Oh man, a long time ago. I, <laughs> yeah, that we I talked about remember. this one. Watched it, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the last time actually watching the unedited version. Every now and then, you catch a little bit on TV, and you would watch it. Uh, I would watch it just to see if I could, you know, get the little theme song, "Better Than Diamond Rings." Right, right. You know, just to catch that little jingle and laugh. But actually watching mm-hmm. the movie beginning to end, it's it's probably been a couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, I've, I watched it a few years ago and I want to say it was, it was one that I'd kind of forgotten about. And then it popped up on one of the cable channels we were, we had a subscription to, you know, this was probably like 10 years ago, uh, that I saw it. It was on one of those and I rewatched and I was like, you know, this is still, it was still fun. It's, it, it has the nostalgic factor for me. And one of those, it's one of those movies you saw as a kid. So you have fond memories about it. So going back and rewatching it kind of brings some of those nostalgic feelings to it. So I enjoyed watching it again. I can't say I enjoyed it as much watching it this time, but it's still fun. There's still parts of it that's fun. I think I enjoyed it more now being able to see some of the goofs that we'll talk about later uh, that were a little bit more prevalent. Maybe on a bigger on a bigger screen TV and HD, you kind of see a little bit easier than I did on my fuzzy TV, uh, you know, recorded from TV that was already uh, not very crystal clear back in the 80s either. So, uh they got away with a few things back then. I would say let's talk about storage and pre-production, but in my notes, it has none because there was absolutely nothing online that I could find about how this movie came to be. What I know is that Goldie Hawn began producing her own movies. She created a production company, which I think Private Benjamin was the first one she did. And then she did Protocol, I think, in 84. And this is like the third one of that kind of trio of movies where... It's the Goldie Hawn joins the army. Goldie Hawn goes to Washington. Goldie Hawn is the football coach. So she was kind of, the formula was being duplicated in different scenarios. Uh, So I know that this was something that she had kind of spearheaded in getting it made. And that's really all I've got. I've got some information about the director and the cast, but that's really all I know, unless, unless you know anything, Ron. I mean, I don't know anything, but I mean, we just we know Goldie Hawn from that mid '80s era, and it's yeah. the, you know it's kind of playing the same role over and over again. The, mm-hmm. the woman woman can't get a job done because she's a woman, and then mm-hmm. her her taking on the role to prove that that she could, and this right. was another example of that. So, yeah, um, I'm sure that's like you said in your intro, kind of formulaic at this point. Mm-hmm. It also it's formulaic for that reason. It, and it's a formulaic sports movie. I think a lot of the I read several reviews, which I don't typically read for doing the research, but a lot of the reviews were saying that it's it's rehashing so many of the sports movies that had already come out and been successful that it seemed much more like a cash grab of oh we liked Goldie Hawn and Private Benjamin and Protocol, and then oh we liked Rocky and Bad News Bears and you know those kind of sports movies where the underdogs are going to come back and win at the end. So it was just a combobulation, for lack of a better term, of all those kind of cliches and tropes 
all thrown into the movie, which is why I did not do well with the critics, and it really didn't do that well at the box office either. And now, these messages. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up! That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. So let's talk a little bit about the director, Michael Ritchie. He started his career as an assistant producer in television in the early 60s. He made his feature film debut as a director with Downhill Racer in 69, for which he was hired by Robert Redford. Sports continued to be his forte, his greatest box office success being about baseball, that's the Bad News Bears, in 76. And then he also made Semi-Tough about football in 77. While his work became more mainstream during the 80s, it does include a few memorable comedies, Notably Fletch in 85, The Golden Child in 86, and The Couch Trip in 88. So we did do, okay. we've done we've done Fletch, The Golden Child, of course, Eddie Murphy, a fun movie. Give me the knife. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the ones, I have not seen, well, we watched that movie a couple of years ago, it Was on, I think it was on TV, but that scene is probably the only scene, when I think of The Golden Child, that is a scene I think about, is like, you have to ask him again. He does the, I, 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 I want the knife. Yeah, so uh, good old Eddie Murphy. So uh, so let's jump into casting. So we start with the producer, actress herself, Goldie Hawn as Molly McGrath. 
Uh, Goldie started dancing professionally at a young age and was discovered by talent agent Bud Simon while dancing in the chorus line on Andy Griffith's Uptown Downtown TV special in 1966. I thought you'd like that little piece of trivia there. That is good. Ron is a huge Andy Griffith show fan. Absolutely. Uh, she had her feature film debut in the one and only genuine original family band, 1968, which was a Disney movie, with a small role as a jiggling dancer. <laughs> I don't know why it's a jiggling dancer, but that's what it says. Her first big role came in 1969, where she played opposite Walter Matthau and Ingrid Berman. I'm sorry, Ingrid Bergman in Cactus Flower, a role which earned her an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. So she came out of the out of the gate swinging. After the Oscar win, her career took off, and she followed up with roles in successful comedies such as There's a Girl in My Soup in 1970, great titles back then, and Shampoo in 75, and more dramatic roles in The Girl from Petrokfa in 1974 and The Sugarland Express. In 1978, she starred alongside Chevy Chase in the box office hit Foul Play. In 1980, she starred another box office hit Private Benjamin, which we discussed already, where she also served as producer. During the 80s, she starred in hit movies, such as Best Friends in 82 with Burt Reynolds, Protocol in 84, and of course Wildcats in 86. In 87, she appeared with her boyfriend, Kurt Russell, in Overboard, which became both a critical and box office disappointment. <laughs> Even though it's loved by a lot of people today. So, got any love for uh, Overboard? I did not. I did not care for Overboard <laughs> at whatsoever, and I did not like the two of them together in a movie, but I, I know some people that love that movie. It does have a yeah. little bit of a cult oh, yeah, following. Yeah. Yeah, there's some diehard overboard fans. Mm-hmm. They did do a remake of it a couple of years ago that I never finished. I started it because it was on one of the streaming channels and it was terrible. Yeah. Not a good sign when you can watch a movie for free and you still don't finish it. No. <laughs> there's been a few like that over the years. So, uh, so do you have a favorite Goldie Hawn movie? Yeah, I'm not a huge Goldie Hawn fan to begin with. Most of those movies, as you were reading them, I've never heard of. Uh, so right. Wild, Wildcats, when I think of Goldie Hawn, this is what I know Goldie Hawn from. I mean, most of that stuff, you know, you're talking 60s and 70s yeah. and not being born until 72. So I wasn't familiar with, with, with mm-hmm. those things. But um, coming into, into gear in the mid-80s, Wildcats would sadly this would be my favorite Goldie Hawn movie <laughs> I didn't list her 90s movies I probably more I like I know Wildcats I didn't see I actually I actually watched Private, ben, Private Benjamin yesterday for the first time I think uh which I remember the TV show as a kid but the movie is not very good um uh, I don't think I ever saw Protocol I started with another one I started watching uh Foul Play with her and Chevy Chase a month or so ago, and I didn't make it all the way through it. So, but in the '90s, she did like Death Becomes Her with her and Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep, I think, which was uh, I think it was Robert Zemeckis movie, which was kind of funny. So I remember her in that. She had a couple other movies like in the '90s that I think I remember her more from. But this was kind of my first introduction to her, and is it my favorite, most memorable? Let's let's go with that. <laughs> okay, it's your favorite. Movie of hers about a uh, about her coaching football. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. That fits the bill. All right. So joining the cast, we also have Swoozy Kurtz as Verna McGrath. Her name Swoozy is derived from Swoos W. I'm sorry, S W O O S E, a half swan, half goose, which was the name of the B-17D bomber that her father piloted in World War II. 
The same aircraft once carried future President Lyndon B. Johnson back to Australia from Port Moresby, New Guinea, after he rode as a Navy observer on a B-26 raid on Ley. It is now owned by the National Air and Space Museum in Washington. So a little bit of trivia about Swoozy Kurtz. Uh, Kurtz made her Broadway debut in 1975 revival of Ah Wilderness. She has received five Tony Award nominations, winning for both 5th of July in 81 and the House of Blue Leaves in 86. Her other nominations were for other things that she's done. Uh, for her television work, she received eight Emmy Award nominations with one win for Carol and Company in 1990. Other television credits include the NBC drama Sisters from 91 to 96, Huff from 2004 to 2006, the hit CBS comedy Mike and Molly from 2010 to 2016, and can currently be seen on the Fox TV show Call Me Cat. Her films include Dangerous Liaisons in 88, Stanley and Iris in 99, Liar Liar in 1997, and Bubble Boy in 2001. Not a big Bubble Boy fan, Ron? Uh, when I think of Bubble Boy, I always go to Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. The classic Seinfeld episode about the Bubble Boy. Yeah, I remember her from Liar Liar. I think we've had conversations when she was on Mike and Molly. I mean, she's had a lot of work done. Let's just, we're going to call a spade a spade on this. Sure, sure. <laughs> this yeah, she was fantastic on Mike and Molly. Um, yeah, yeah. And currently on Call Me Cat, it was pretty obvious the first season that something was going on with her as well. They were, mm-hmm. after like the first couple of episodes, they started covering up her arms because her arms yeah. were so, um, so thin, um, yeah. so skinny. Yeah. But she's, uh, Sweet Kurtz is, is pretty good actually in Wildcats. I think her and Goldie mm-hmm. Hawn seem to have a natural uh, uh, rapport, probably could have done a, a, a type of like buddy comedy focusing more on like the right. female relationship because uh, right. they, they do seem to, to have good chemistry together. Yeah, I agree with that. It was just funny because like I knew it was her from her voice, but she looked so different back then than she does now. It's like, She's uh, aged, but it's just she just looks completely different now. But that voice is unmistakable. All right, then we have the oldest daughter, Alice Needham, played by Robin Lively. Robin was born into a family of actors in Powder Springs, Georgia. A lot of actors in this movie were born in Georgia. I don't have them all listed that way, but they, that Atlanta and Georgia kept coming up. Uh, her mother, adoptive father, and all four siblings are or have been in the entertainment industry. She is the daughter of talent manager Elaine Lively and her first husband, Ronald Otis Lively. Her siblings are Lori, who has been on the TV soap opera The Bold and the Beautiful, and brother Jason, who played Rusty in National Lampoon's European Vacation, which I had no idea that was her brother. Her half-siblings are Eric, who has done some TV work, and Blake, who is known for her role as Serena on the CW TV show Gossip Girl, and of course is the wife of Ryan Reynolds. Deadpool himself. So Robin Lively is known for her roles in the films Teen Witch in 89 and for her roles in the TV shows Doogie Howser, MD. I forgot that she did play Doogie Howser's girlfriend for a while. She was also in Twin Peaks and Saving Grace. Her first two movies actually centered on high school football. It was this movie and The Best of Times, which also came out in 1986, where she played the daughter of Robin Williams, a high school football player who dropped the winning pass against an arch-rival who was looking to redeem himself and his town by replaying the game as adults, which also stored, starred Goldie Hawn's boyfriend, Kurt Russell, as a star quarterback. Which you and I have talked about this movie before. You've never seen Best of Times, right? I don't think I've ever watched it all the way yeah. all the way through. But uh, Robin Lively is also Karate Kid 3. Yes, Karate Kid 3. 
I won't let Ron spoil it for you like he spoiled it for me in the current season of Cobra Kai, but you may see her in the next season. I don't know if you haven't caught up that far yet. Yeah, so Robin Lively, she was, you know, in this movie. <laughs> then you've got Brandy Gold as the younger daughter. She is the sister of Tracy Gold of Growing Pains fame. Oh, really? Which I did. Yeah. So uh, she did some TV work in the 80s, and then she became a talent agent. But which, yeah. al- which also means, and their older sister, who was the daughter on Benson, um, her last name was Gold as well. I can't remember her first name now. But oh, Tracy really? Gold okay. and, and, and that were, were sisters. The other one got in first. Benson was, was more early, early okay. mid-80s, before Growing Pains, and then Tracy Gold got Growing Pains. So yeah, that whole family has uh, had some, some movie and TV success. Melissa Gold. Melissa Gold. Missy Gold. That was Melissa Gold. Okay, there yeah. you go. And I have to go back because I want to say, I know that Kirk Cameron is in Best of Times because he plays Kurt Russell's son. And I want to say Tracy Gold has like a small part as like one of the high school friends. Like their friend, like he's friends with her in the movie Best of Times. And of course, this came out like a year or two before Growing Pain started. So a lot of... uh, Interesting. <laughs> a lot of the same people floating around in these movies. Then you got James Keach as Frank Needham, the ex-husband. He is the younger brother of fellow actor Stacy Keach, who became well-known as TV's version of Mike Hammer based on the successful book series. I thought this was a cool fact. James was up for the role of Freddy Krueger in Wes Craven's classic A Nightmare on Elm Street, which Ron and I talked about last Halloween, I think, before turning it down due to scheduling conflict but he's probably best known as the motorcycle cop who pulls over Clark Griswold in National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. That was the first thing I thought when I saw him. That's the first yeah. you, you see yeah. him with that helmet uh, from Vacation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was also in another forgotten 80s flick called uh, Moving Violations, where he, he's like the, he's, the, he's a police officer. There are like a, he's teaching. I've, I don't think I've ever seen the movie. I've seen the trailer. But he's like teaching the class of misfits with bill murray's brother is like the the lead in that movie so see you should have just said another forgotten 80s flick that i can't remember i just <laughs> yeah. i just let That's it go right. and, which is and, why it's forgotten yeah and, and rolled with it yeah uh then we got jan hooks as stephanie needham the new girlfriend of the ex-husband uh of course jan hooks is most remembered for her five-year run on saturday night live on the series, she impersonated actresses ranging from Betty Davis to Anne Margaret to Sally Kellerman to Jodie Foster. After she left the show, she was proposed by Linda Bloodworth Thompson to replace Jean Smart on CBS's Designing Women. She accepted. She played she played the role of Clarine Dauber for the final two seasons, but uh, sadly, Jan passed away in 2014 from complications due to throat cancer. Uh, moving right along. <laughs> Hate to bring the podcast down. Moving right along. <laughs> Bruce McGill, who is one of my favorite, like, scumbaggy kind of characters, as Dan Darwell, the other, the high school football coach from the initial school. Uh, his long acting career also includes films Animal House, The Last Boy Scout, My Cousin Vinny, Cliffhanger, Time Cop, The Legend of Bagger Vance, The Sum of All Fears, along with many others. He starred in many television roles, including portraying the Boston Police homicide detective Vince Corsack on the TV I'm sorry, on the TNT television crime drama Rizzoli and Isles, uh, director Michael Mann considers McGill a favorite actor to work with, having worked with him on The Insider, Ali, and Collateral. Bruce McGill gets around. He does, and um, has has some some good moments in this, some good, yeah. uh, even a, a comedic <laughs> yeah. relief. The, uh, the racquetball scenes uh, where he's playing and getting yes. showed up by a yes. woman 
and then pouting about it, and then him mm. throwing the tantrum in the mud at the end of the game, or great scene uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, yeah. So yeah, he he uh, he does a lot with very little in this movie. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and he's, he's great as the sheriff in My Cousin Vinny as well. Um, yes, you know, yes, he, yeah, one of my when, favorites. And when Vinny gives him the thing to look up for him, he says, "Well, tell me why." You know, and then who's willing to help him <laughs> in the case? Um, but anyway, yeah, good good actor, been in everything. Yeah, he's one of the, one of those that guys. Like you, you that's that guy. It's that guy. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Nipsey Russell as Principal Ben Edwards in the 1960s. Russell achieved his first major role as Officer Anderson in Car 54. Where are you? After being on the show for a year, Russell was a mainstay on variety shows, appearing on Laugh In, The Dean Martin Show, and The Jackie Gleason Show, among many others. Russell also appeared on many small shows in the 60s as an always unique personality who would liven up almost any program. I can definitely see that from his personality. As the 70s approached, Nipsey became a popular game show panelist, appearing on To Tell the Truth, Match Game, and many others. Nipsey was known as television's Poet Laureate on such shows as The Tonight Show and many other popular talk shows of the day. His film roles were remarkably scarce, but he will always be remembered for his role as the Tin Man in the 1978 remake of The Wizard of Oz, The Wiz. The movie was a box office failure, but since that time, the movie is considered a cult classic, for sure. And Nipsey Russell steals every scene he is in in this movie. Every scene. And, and he's not every in a lot of scenes, but every scene he's in with that sly <laughs> smile and then that slow draw. Right. 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 Every yeah. scene he His, steals. Yeah. yeah. Like I, the uh, sequel I should have been just just following him as the principal around the high yeah. school. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. The, exactly. Yeah, he's the exactly. one taking care of the dogs and locking them up and and the uh, you know the chains <laughs> and everything. So yeah. Let's follow that. Let's follow Nipsey's character around. That's that's the movie I would probably have rather seen. Yeah, I know we're not on favorite scenes yet, but one of my favorite scenes is him and Bruce McGill scene, where the coach comes and tells him he's like, you know, most of your players are failing. He's like, oh, I'll be sure to check this with the computer. The computers will be here in about three months. <laughs> no, no, he says years. Years, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About, about three years. Pointing out, you know, a, a, again, the discrepancy between the inner city high school at the time, not having any right. funding or anything like that, and this guy coming over here from his prestigious school. Yeah, we don't have computers mm-hmm. to check all those grades. So, um, um, right, right. Good, good way to kind of dig back at him. Yeah, that was great. Great scene. Great scene. All right, then we got Michael T. Williamson as Lavander Bird Williams. After graduating high school, Williamson began acting professionally, making appearances on television shows such as Starchsky and Hutch in 75, Hill Street Blues in 81, and China Beach in 88, among others. He made his film debut in the Walter Hill-directed feature Streets of Fire in 84, opposite Diane Lane, Michael Paré, 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 how you say it, and William Defoe. He would subsequently appear in the feature The First Power in 1990 with Lou Diamond Phillips, Miracle Mile in 88 with Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham, Number One with a Bullet in 87, and Free Willy in 1993. Following his critically acclaimed performance, of course, as Bubba in Forrest Gump in 94, he starred in Forrest Whitaker's Waiting to Exhale in 95, partnered with Al Pacino and Michael Mann's Heat in 95, as well as Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home in 95, and he also appeared in Con Air with Nicolas Cage in 1997. He is... By far one of my favorite unsung actors. I mean, of course, I, I love him. I love him from Bubba. You know, that's when I first really knew who he was and figured out who his name was. But anything that I've seen him in, we talked about he was on 24 
the TV show uh, for a while, and he's done. He's been in a lot of movies and really like small roles that he's taken, right. but he always brings his A game to whatever he's in. So uh, it, it, it was a long time before I made a connection of him as Bird in this movie, the mm-hmm. the quarterback who yeah, won't play yeah. first, to um, Bubba from um, Forrest Gump, bald shrimp, baked shrimp, barbecue shrimp, fried shrimp. <laughs> right. It, it was a long time before I made a connection that that's who it was. And when I did, I was just like, oh, I yeah. can't believe that's, a, that's the same that's the same guy. But you're right, another guy, another that guy, but mm-hmm. far better as an actor. He's good, really good in everything that you see him in. Bubba was such a different character than any other character he's played, really, from then on and since. It was such a, a unique character for him to play, and for him to personify that the way he did, people don't realize that, you know, that wasn't how he really talked or how he really acted. I mean, that was him really diving into that character. Um, he was in the movie version of Fences with uh, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, where he, once again, he plays a completely different character in that movie right. as well. I think he plays the brother of Denzel's character, but um, but just fan- fantastic actor. I've got to give him his props. So go, 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 you know, check his filmography on IMDb and watch some other movies that he's been in and just be amazed at his, his work. So then we got Tab. I'm not, of course, not going to cover everybody, but I'm going to talk about Tab Thacker as Philip Finch, who was probably my favorite character. Tab followed up Wildcats with Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol in 87, Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach in 88. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2007 due to complications from diabetes. So he did a couple movies and then that was it. But uh, he was from North Carolina as well. But Finch was my favorite. Of course, and a lot of the reviews are like, he was there to be the refrigerator Perry, quote unquote, character for the football team. Since we saw, we'll talk about the parallels of the Chicago Bears and and the team a little later. But right. um, he was so funny in this, like his whole, you know, the smart guy doing all the tests and the reports for the players, and everything was about money. Like when the the ex husband comes into the the house, or the yeah comes into the house and was like, I'll, I'll hit him for ten dollars. I maybe for five, and then you know it's like no charge. So that's another one of my favorite little scenes. So yeah, and he's not even in like the first half of the movie. He's not mentioned. We don't see him, nothing, and then right. all of a sudden, right? He just pops up. He's an integral character for the rest rest of the way. And then you know I hated I, I hate it. It was funny back then, but it's I don't you know don't laugh the same way as I do now. But the scene where they don't have a, a jersey big enough for him, so they got like two jerseys on the front and the back. And just kind of duct taping the uh, the jerseys around his body. I was like, "Oh man, that's got to be got to be bad." And then I love he was like, oh, "He's he's like, hey, how you doing?" When he's in the first game, it's like, uh, "Here you go." He's like, opens up, lets the, the the defender go right at the quarterback. Doesn't even try to block, just the right turnstile. We'll nitpick a little bit, but we're at the end of the game. Has he not been playing that position the whole game? And now all of a sudden, like, why is he letting everybody get by him? It's like the game was almost over. They must have put him in at the very end. And it didn't really get that. And a little continuity in the movie doesn't always There's a lot sense. of co- continuity issues there at the, <laughs> yeah. at, the, at the end of the football scenes in this movie. All right, of course, we got to talk about Wesley Snipes as Tremaine. Wesley grew up on the streets of the South Bronx, New York City where he very early decided that dance and the theater were to be his career. He attended the High School of the Performing Arts, popularized in the movie and TV show Fame in the 80s. But dreams of the musical theater and maybe a few commercials faded when his mother moved him to Orlando, Florida, before he could graduate. 
Fortune would have it that he, along with two friends and his drama class teachers, would start a bus and truck theater company called Strutton Street Stuff. It was instrumental in his high school's induction in the International Thespian Society, Orlando chapter, and helped lay the foundation for what would become Dr. Phillips's high school's theater program. Musical theater rooted snipes before song and I'm sorry, musical theater rooted snipes performing song and dance, puppetry and aerobic ah, and acrobatics in city parks, dinner clubs, and performing arts centers around Central Florida. As a recipient of the Victor Borga Scholarship, Snipes left Orlando and entered the world-renowned Professional Theater Arts Program at Sunny Purchase in New York, now Purchase College, where he honed his theatrical performance and martial arts skills. Graduating, he went on to co-star in a few soap operas and nighttime dramas peppered in between critical acclaimed performances on Broadway. It was there in a Broadway theater an agent saw him on stage and invited him to audition for his very first feature role, which was... Wildcats. (laughs) Wildcats. <laughs> Very first line ever ever uttered by, by Wesley Snipes. All suited up and ready to play, coach. As, <laughs> yeah. as he's standing there with no pants on from the waist down and the helmet covering right. his private area. First line in a movie right. ever for Wesley Snipes. First line. Woody, Woody Harrelson's first line is worse. So we'll, we'll get to that one in a few minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, from Broadway to pantsless in a locker room, <laughs> the career of Wesley Snipes. After Wildcats, he appeared in Michael Jackson's full-length music video for Bad in 87. He also starred with Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen as Willie Mays Hayes in 1989's Major League, which we covered in the first season. He turned to more dramatic roles in the 90s with New Jack City and Jungle Fever before hitting his stride as a bona fide action star with Passenger 57, Demolition Man, and Drop Zone, just to name a few. There. There's so many great things that I know Wesley Snipes from, and I, I love the Blade movies because that's a comic oh, book yeah. uh, character yeah. with Woody Harrell, uh, with uh, Wesley Snipes and Blade. But right. whenever I think of, of Wesley Snipes, one of the first things that always comes to mind is Michael Jackson grabbing him. You ain't bad. You ain't nothing. <laughs> At the beginning right. of that right. bad video, and I'm like, if Wesley Snipes wanted to beat the crap out of you, there's nothing <laughs> that you could do to stop it. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's uh, um, but uh, and I know we're going to talk about Woody Harrelson here in just a second. But White Men Can't mm-hmm. Jump, they're one of their, you know, they did yeah, several movies, movies together. But that yeah. you know, one one of my favorite movies of that era. I, I love that movie and love them together. I love especially Blade <laughs> One. The, the Blade Two, Blade Three get progressively worse, but um, Blade One is really right, good. Right. And um, I just I've really you know, been a, been a big fan of of Wesley's career all the way up till he went to. Uh, federal prison for tax evasion yeah i was reading through uh some of his filmography and the and the things that he was supposed to do that he couldn't do like roles that he lost because of unable to leave the country because of the tax evasion uh stuff before he was even in prison so uh yeah all right since you mentioned let's go to woody harrelson as krasinski krasinski after receiving degrees in theater arts and english from hanover college he had a brief stint in new york theater he was cast as Woody on the TV show Cheers. He replaced Coach, who was played by Nicholas Colasanto, who had passed away in February of 85. He joined the cast in season four, spending the final eight seasons on the show, which wound up being one of the most popular TV shows ever and also earned Harrelson an Emmy for his performance in 1989. While he dabbled in film during this time on Cheers, Wildcats being his film debut, that area of his career didn't fully take off until towards the end of the show's run. In 1991, he was on Doc Hollywood, 
which gave him his first widely seen movie role. He followed that up with White Men Can't Jump, as Ron said, in 1992, and Decent Proposal in 93, and Natural Born Killers in 94. Snipes and Harrelson have appeared together in three movies outside of Wildcats, being White Man Can't Jump in 92, Money Train in 95, and Play It to the Bone in 99. I've never seen Play It to the Bone. I've seen Money Train and White Man Can't Jump, though. Yeah, I've never seen that one either. Um, and and Woody Harrelson, you know, the the Cheers thing in and of itself is remarkable because uh, yeah, Calasanto yeah. played coach. Those, if you go back and watch, and I just rewatched Cheers last year. Those first few seasons with Coach are remarkable. They are so funny, and he, mm. uh, Coach, is so yes. good. Yes. And typically, if a character dies and they replace them with someone else, it is not as good. But Woody, especially though, again, those mm-hmm. first three or four years, you know, all shows by the time it's a long run are not as good. But those right. first three or four years is just as good as Coach. I, I don't know that I could say one was better than the other, but but both are great. And that in and of itself was was remarkable um, uh, on that show. Um, yeah. Again, white man can't jump. Um, you know, there was a time when people were, you know, like to call me Billy Ho. That was his character from uh, <laughs> the, the, the name. I was playing basketball a lot and, and right. um, um, love that that movie. There's some lines from that movie that I can think of right now that I won't say that just crack <laughs> me up. But uh, Woody's first line. So Woody's first line in a movie, uh, even worse than Wesley Snipes' first line. His first line, <laughs> I like her tits. <laughs> First line ever uttered in a movie by Woody Harrelson. He's come yeah. a long, come a long way. He's come way a long now. way. Yeah. Uh, and can we talk about? We talked. We talked about. We you know. We Ron and I have talked about this movie before we recorded. So there's some things that we're kind of rehashing that you guys haven't heard. But we know, of course, in the '80s, especially, we're supposed to believe these are all high school students. <laughs> Clearly, they're all in their like late 20s, early 30s. Especially Harrelson with his. It's five o'clock shadow in most of the scenes, and I'm like, dude, you look you could ask Goldie Hawn out on a date, and no one would think it was weird because you look like you're 25, 26 years old. I mean, I think he looks younger in Cheers than he does on Wildcats, and those are like the same, the same years. So yeah, I, I agree, especially that first year of Cheers, they really made yeah. him look like a like a like a boy, a which was was kind of what he was supposed to be. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, like going back and like watching that with an adult's eyes, like. There is like they should have just said it in a college. I mean, college would have would have been a little would have made a. I mean, you can't do the inner city schools and the prestigious schools, but you know they could have worked it out if they wanted to. But it's just they don't look like high school students at all, especially Harrelson in a couple of scenes. So we'll talk about. We're almost done. We only got one one person left. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh. I couldn't not talk about, of course, uh, M. Emmett Walt Walsh as Walt Coase. Uh, Walsh first appeared in a few fairly forgettable roles, both on TV and on screen, before cropping up in several well-remembered films, including a courtroom police officer in What's Up, Doc in 1972, as the weird Dickie Dunn in Slapshot in 77, and as a loony sniper hunting Steve Martin in The Jerk in 1979, which is one of my favorites. On-screen demand heated up for him in the early 80s with attention-grabbing work and key hits like Reds in 81 Harrison Ford's Police Chief and Blade Runner 82. He then turned in a stellar performance as a sleazy double-crossing private detective in Joel and Ethan Cohen's film Blood Simple in 84 and showed up again for the Coens as a loudmouth sheet metal worker bugging Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona in 87. As Walsh moved into his 50s and beyond, Hollywood continued to offer him plenty of work 
and he had appeared in over 50 movies since passing the half-century mark. His consistent ability to turn out highly entertaining portrayals led film critic Roger Ebert to coin the Stanton-Walsh rule, which states that any film starring Walsh or Harry Dean Stanton has to have some merit. He was also in Best of Times in 86. <laughs> We've talked about that one already. It's got to be like the same producers or, or, or casting yeah, agency yeah. or something doing these things. Of to course. Get them all. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to know what the M stands for, it stands for Michael. Yeah, we didn't we didn't want to know. <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh is great. I mean, any movie that he's been in, he's been he's fantastic. They I, they did note I didn't put in my notes that he's actually bo- he was actually born and raised in New York, but he always gets cast as like a Southern character. <laughs> so he must have picked up a Southern accent somewhere along the way, and that's just kind of where they stuck him. But uh, but let's talk about the cameo of the movie, LL Cool J as quote unquote rapper. Rapper. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one that wrote and recorded the original football rap which is the name of the the song you know it's the sport of kings better than diamond ring right which is so well regarded and 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 so loved that it has never been released in any <laughs> format not even on the soundtrack to this movie LL Cool J's never thrown it on to an album as like an additional bonus track nowhere nope. ever did they release this they were like this is trash we are never <laughs> going to put it out anywhere and and uh, you know again we were talking off air you know this is uh, mid 80s Curtis Blow's basketball yeah. from the early 80s I mean it's still a staple mm-hmm. you still you still hear that and it's still a, a good song and gets played there really wasn't one for football I don't know if they originally like hey we'll have LL Cool J was young he was he was um you know probably 18 mm-hmm. 19 years old when they're when they were making this so um right he's of that age of a high school football player so we'll let him do this, but for whatever reason, it just did not come together. It's a catchy little song, uh, and if you want to delve into that it is, now, yeah. it's clearly uh, uh, going along with the Chicago Bears Super Bowl Super Bowl Shuffle. The end of this movie with all of them lined up mm-hmm. in a line across the stage is the exact same video footage of the Chicago Bears when, when they shot the video for Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> it's a similar little uh, hook right. to the to the song. Um, each of them individually saying saying their line, but this just did not did not work. And um, it's best known. Nobody, no one's verse is especially great. Some of the actors are better at doing their their no. rap than others. But um, <laughs> it's best yeah. known for Goldie Hawn's little football <laughs> that she that she says yeah. in between in between the little raps, and then just laughs, giggles. Like a little girl, like she knows mm-hmm. I really shouldn't be doing this. The song is terrible. Football, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think uh, McKelty Williamson. I think his was the best rap. Absolutely, segment. absolutely. Yeah, so Harrelson's was definitely the worst. His is really bad. <laughs> what is this pretty bad? I don't even think his rhymed at the end. I think you just kind of made it. It's like it didn't even it didn't even come together very well. But the Super Bowl uh, shuffle itself is really bad. I'm the punky QB yeah, known as yeah. McMahon. When I hit the field, I have no plan. That's really <laughs> bad. I had I had a cassette tape that had like random songs like, you know, I don't remember what the cassette tape was named, but I only I bought it only to have the Super Bowl shuffle. It was like the very last track on, you know, on whatever side it was on. 
Well, it was the uh, only way you could you could get it. Now, maybe in Chicago they released it as a cassette single right, or something. But for the right. rest of the country, the only way you could get it was one of those crappy tapes that had a bunch of songs yeah. you didn't want. But the right. Super Bowl Shuffle was thrown on there somewhere <laughs> like track seven out of out of ten. Yeah, and that was the exactly. only way you could get it. Um, exactly. Now there, there's a couple of def- decent verses on Super Bowl uh, Shuffle. I've, I'll always remember Michael Singletary. Um, you know, nobody messing in my n- neighborhood. And I remember my dad riding in the car and him hearing that and him going, that's right. That's the way a linebacker should be. No one's messing in your neighborhood. That's a middle linebacker right there. Him, Jack Lambert, no one's messing in their neighborhoods. Like I, I remember, and you know, my dad wasn't exactly keen on rap, uh, but he loved right, that line right. from Mike Singletary. That's awesome. And now these messages. Hello, 80s Flick lovers. I just want to take a few minutes and say thanks again for listening to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed all of our episodes so far. If you have, I want to remind you of a few ways you can show your support. The easiest way is to follow us on social media. Search for us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. It's a great way to learn about upcoming shows, and you can also interact with some other great 80s Flick lovers too. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcasting platform you can find us on. You can also share your favorite episodes with other 80s flick-loving friends, family, and coworkers. Share the love. I also want to encourage you to become a financial supporter of the podcast. We will always offer free episodes and will never put any of our past seasons behind a paywall. But it does cost money to keep the podcast running. From the very beginning stages of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our first podcast supporters through Anchor. There are three tiers of support, $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99 per month. During October, November, and December of this year, I'll have some fun giveaways for the first 20 supporters at the top tier $9.99 level. You can find the link to become a supporter in our show notes. If you want to do something special for my birthday in November or just for the holidays, you can find my Amazon wish list on our Linktree link in the show notes as well. I've compiled a list of Blu-rays and DVDs that I want to add to my collection as I move away from digital content and back to physical copies. There are movies priced from $5 to $40 on the list, so feel free to purchase one or more. (laughs) If you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Footloose, Ghostbusters, and Purple Rain, as well as deeper cuts from the 80s flicks like Catch Me Now, I'm Falling from Hiding Out, Rhythm of the Night from The Last Dragon, and Babysitting Blues from Adventures in Babysitting. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette to hold seven hours worth of songs. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. What's up dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. 
You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's jump into uh, iconic scenes. Is there an iconic scene for Wildcats? Or have we just talked about it? The closing um, credits. <laughs> the closing credits probably is the <laughs> iconic one. Um, I'll t- but I'll tell you, my favorite scene of this movie is is when she's challenging them to the to the run, and it's it's pouring yes. rain, and yes. she tells them, "I'll yes. run." And you know, like the first lap, people are bailing out and being like, "She's not going to mm-hmm. be tre- Tremaine. Those guys are fast." Well, it's not a script. Right. It's a marathon. And so at the at the end, it's just her and Wesley Snipes, who's Tremaine. Yep. It's pouring rain. And she says, mm-hmm. I should probably tell you something. I ran the Boston Marathon. And he looks at her like she's crazy. And then she says, twice. Yeah. And he just, twice. oh, <laughs> man. Like, I, right, that, right. I've always loved that scene. And then mm-hmm. it, it's not one scene, but just kind of a running gag through the movie. It starts off with two cheerleaders when the team's not good. And they're just yeah. making up their yeah. own cheers and dances and doing whatever they want to do. You ugly. You ugly. You ugly. Your mama said you ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then as the team starts to win, there's like four cheerleaders and then there's like seven cheerleaders and just the dances and the cheers get, keep getting more elaborate, uh, uh, but still just completely mm-hmm. made up. Those scenes are, are, are always a little bit funny to me. And then for some reason, in, in the same scene where they're doing the running with Goldie Hawn and, they, mm-hmm. and Bird, Bird isn't playing yet, he's in the stands and his right, right. Gir- girlfriend is holding the umbrella for <laughs> the him. Umbrella. Yeah. And he's looking so happy watching them run because he had bet on the coach. She's going to outrun these boys. She's going right, to win. Right. And he's just smiling. And the girlfriend looks so perturbed to be yes, standing yes. there getting wet, holding the umbrella for her boyfriend. And that look on her face is just hilarious. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. Other than that, my, all my favorite scenes, which we can get to when you're ready, are the just the ones where they mess stuff up, and it's obviously not them doing yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and uh, all those scenes. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really an iconic scene. Like you said, uh, I think it's the closing credits. I mean, that's that's the scene that I remember. When I think of Wildcats, I think of the song more than I think of the actual movie. I do have some favorite scenes. Uh, we talked about you know uh, Nipsey Russell and Bruce McGill's confrontation. The part, the, uh, the the with Finch punching out the ex husband, which I thought was funny. I mean, there's like little scenes. There's nothing that's like nothing really like jumps out. I mean, there's little bits and pieces that are there that are funny, but I don't really have like a super favorite scene from this movie. I think the racing the the track scene is fun. Uh, I like the scene where she you know she tracks down Bird at the at the bar, and then he's like he's talking to his friends like I got this, I got this, 
hey, so I got to go check on my grandma and my mom gave me the key, but we can, my car won't start. Can we take your van? And so then that whole, you know, scene of him, them taking their, her taking them to the place where they're going to, you know, basically get the stolen goods. And then he's climbing on top of her van. She's like, he can't be up there. He can't be up there. I'll get up there. He's like, I like that plan. <laughs> and so then, yeah, then they end up in the, in the dumpster and she basically blackmails him into coming back to the team. And so I love when he comes back on the team, he's all in his suit. It's like, man, I couldn't just sit back and, you know, watch you guys lose all season. I had to come and do something like he had to, you know, uh, put up a front of why he was back and not that that coach got the best of him to get him back on the field. But I forgot to put this one on my on my list of actors, but the head cheerleader who also plays Wesley Snipes' girlfriend uh, has been in something else. And you mentioned it, but I forgot to put it on my notes. It was uh, the Jamie Foxx show. She played uh, right, his aunt right, right. on the Jamie Foxx show. And she's also another one. Her and Wesley Snipes are a high school couple in here. And they've got to be 28 years old uh, in this movie as they're playing this, this high school couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she's, um, right. I, I probably know her best as the aunt, Jamie Foxx's aunt from the Jamie Foxx show. And I thought it was funny when we finally met his girlfriend and I was like, what? He's a hit. He's hit on every woman that's passed by him from the moment we've met him. And yet he's got a girlfriend. But anyway, that's high school. Yeah, that's, that's true. But he, he's definitely playing a very hyper-sexualized, uh, uh I, character so. in, in this movie. Very much so. Yeah. All right. So. The scenes that we haven't talked about, which are the goofs, or at least the biggest goofs that we, you and I had already talked about. Uh, if you've not seen these, these I only put two scenes down. There's probably more. I think that there's like three or four more, but I couldn't write them all down. But these are the two that Ron and I had. We, we called each other laughing about this when we were watching it. Uh, the first one is Woody Harrelson is demoted from starting quarterback. He mentions to Molly he makes a great slot back. The next scene is of a slot back making a great run. Only the slot back is clearly African American. <laughs> Very clear. We're, With, wearing the same number that he, he his the character number is called. They call him Crew. His last name is like Krujinski or whatever, but they just Krujinski, call him Crew. Yeah. yeah. Right. 89, and they, they cut to her on the sidelines saying, Go, Crew. Right. Go. So it's right. clearly supposed to be him. Right. Clearly not him. <laughs> then when it stands up, it's it's Woody Harrelson who's clearly white. But the funny thing is, like, when that. When the African American, the stunt double, I guess, football double is running, he they put him in white long sleeve shirt, but you can still see his black hands, and his and his dark face by, under and the helmet. Face. It, yeah, so right. it's 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 pretty terrible. It's that pretty one's terrible. very funny. And then they cut away after he gets tackled, and then cut back, and it's so it was it was the black player who got tackled, and then they cut away to get back, and then it, and then it's clearly Woody Harrelson standing up like he right, just got right. tackled. So they clearly right. did not let the actors, even though they were young men in good shape, they did not mm-hmm. let them do any of the football scenes in this movie. They, because <laughs> uh, there's another one that I, I, I like that's even that's even worse. And um, if Go I could talk about that one, it's Wesley Snipes. So Wesley Snipes, who as they're filming this movie, has to weigh 170 pounds. He's mm-hmm. he's a little Wesley Snipes, not a tall guy anyway, and he's a little right. thin. He's in good shape, but he's small. The guy that's playing him, uh, who's number 25 <laughs> on the football field. Is got to be seventy pounds bigger than him. I mean, he is a thick, <laughs> probably a guy that played you know small level college football somewhere that they cast to do that because he looks like a, a running back, a real running right, back. So right. it clearly looks like he's you know two hundred thirty, two hundred forty pounds, and he makes a run and um, and they call him Tremaine and the same thing. They mm-hmm. show him get tackled and then they cut away and then cut back to little tiny Wesley Snipes, <laughs> which looks like this kid's little brother. 
getting right, up right. like he just got tackled and you're like that was hilarious that doesn't even look it's not anywhere close to looking like the same um size um same size person that that made me laugh the final the penultimate play of the game where finch blocks the field goal and then number 11 yeah. which is bird picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown one bird was the quarterback he wouldn't have been on the field goal block team two they clearly show bird standing on the sideline next to uh goldie hahn as she's coaching the team uh but yet he's running it back and they're like go bird go bird like bird standing right there like that's not so a little continuity uh there and then do you remember do you remember the one about the goat i do so before i get there let's talk about the continuities because there's a few scenes there that i want to mention so the one is going back to the to the the track scene when they when they're racing her on the track when it's just her and Snipes and she makes the comment of the Boston Marathon like right before that you see them running his pants are completely white like he has just started running it's raining but his pants are like so white they're like blaring at you and then it cuts to her making that comment it goes back to him and they're completely dirty again and it's like, so I don't know if that line or that sequence was supposed to be earlier in the race and they moved it to the end or whatever, or like, you know, the middle of the race. But that was one that I thought was, was that, that I noticed very blatantly at that point. There was another continuity scene, but I can't remember what it is now. So, yeah, so, yeah, so let's talk about the goat. So, of course, they steal, the, the, the players steal the goat from the first team they played, which... I can't remember what the team was, but the like why they had a goat as a mascot was like a was like a joke at the beginning. Makes no uh, sense. Makes no sense. So of course they had the goat in the in the locker room. Uh, the principal Nipsey Russell comes in. He hears the goat. Uh, Goldie Hawn pretends like she's like oh it, you know she throws herself against the 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 locker to to hide him banging on the on the so that's a funny scene. I I'll, that that made me laugh as a kid. It's not as funny now that I'm older, but as a kid I thought that was a really funny scene. Uh, but of course she says, okay, which one of you guys are going to take this goat back to the other school? And of course, then it shows her in the van driving with the goat in between the seats that if you look closely just below the dash, there's a hand holding the goat's leg, holding the goat there so that you can see the goat for the camera shot. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. So the, the goat doesn't move, which they're trying to hide it over the, like the little, I don't know, the cover they've got on the on the goat, which which you notice once they get out of the van, the cover is very small. But in the in the van, it's got to be big enough to cover the person that's, by, you know, under or behind the goat, holding it down. So, uh, yeah, those are the two like those are the two biggest goofs. Like the goat and the uh, Woody Harrelson are the two biggest ones I think I remember. But I think my favorite line from the movie, and I know we're 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 kind of winding down here, yep, is yep. Uh, Wesley Snipes has a line to. Um, he, he he says something to her, to the ex-husband, and and she says, "What did you say to him?" And he says, "I called him a mf'er, which is linguistically correct." Right. And, yeah. <laughs> like I remember as a kid, like thinking about that for a second. Wait, what? Right. Oh yeah. Well, hey, that was okay. yeah. That was in the courtroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the courtroom. Which goes back. Which goes back to the the daughter uses the same logic when she calls the dog an sob. It's yeah. like well, clearly he is sob because a dog, you know, anyway, a female dog, yeah. right? So, uh, so the, the logic, little planet, little planet joke there early to, to come back again uh, later on, but uh, yeah, 
fun, fun movie. There's not much trivia for this one. Uh, we talked about oh, I was, we talked about the Wildcat song and about how it was like the the Chicago Bears Super Bowl shuffle. But I want to say like you have the white quarterback played by Woody Harrelson, which of course was like the quarterback of the Bears uh, at that time, uh, McMahon, right? Jim McMahon, yeah, and his Jim, backup Jim was McMahon. Steve Steve Fuller. He's on the song too. Right, right. Which means that uh, Snipes being the running back would be the Walter Payton character. Finch being the the William Perry, the refrigerator Perry. So I don't remember the the Chicago team as much. I mean, those are the three characters, the three team members I remember the most. But I wonder if they if they were really trying to kind of pair them up somewhat that way to because the think about eighty five the Bears winning the Super Bowl that was a big deal that was like I remember, I was pretty young when that happened but that was like a phenomenon type of season for them to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so they're trying, clearly trying to ride some of the success of that and trying to make the, the team look like the Bears uh, in the uh, movie. I'll take it a step further for you. So before Woody Harrelson is the quarterback of this team, it's Bird. So it's, a, it's right. an African-American male. who's So before Jim McMahon was with the Bears in the early 80s, they were one of the few teams that had a black quarterback. Vince Evans was the quarterback okay. of, of the Bears. So an, another little parallel there with, uh, yeah. with the Bears. Very cool. Got some football knowledge and some movie knowledge on this episode yeah. of the 80s Flick Flashback. You're welcome. <laughs> there you go. Let's talk about box office and critical reception. Wildcats opened on February 14th, 1986. Don't see this as a Valentine's Day movie, but that's when they dropped it. And even well after football season was over. So this they didn't really market this the right way. Uh, but it did debut at number four at the box office, grossing uh, $5 million during its opening weekend. It came behind films Down and Out in Beverly Hills, The Color Purple, and The Delta Force with Chuck Norris. Debut at number four is better than a lot of other movies that we've covered that did. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 26% on the tomato meter with a 49% audience score. IMDb has it a 6 out of 10 with viewers and a 41 on Metacritic. So, IMD 6 out of 10 is probably pretty close for me. I think it hits some nostalgia, but it's not the greatest comedy or sports movie or sports comedy, but it's still fun to go back and watch. Yeah, I agree. I might even go lower than, than six out of 10, but I might, I might even go four out of 10, but um, <laughs> still some, some fun moments for sure. Like you said. All right. Well, Ron, thanks for joining me on this one. You got anything else you want to talk about with the movie? Have we think we've covered it all? No, I think we've, we've, We've uh, squeezed about all the juice out of this that we can. The, um, uh, not, again, not the best movie. Uh, it is, um, well, it's not, not super long. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they probably could have trimmed some, some more off of it. But uh, it's a movie, if I get to watch it about every uh, 10, 15 years, I'm, I'm yeah, probably good. Yeah. This isn't one that I'm going to want to watch every year, uh, like I remember the Titans or... That's the only other really football movie I probably would watch every year. Uh, I like The Replacements. The Replacements is a goofy comedy movie. Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman. It it's a that's a guilty pleasure one for me. I I like to watch that one every year. Uh, but this isn't one that I want to watch every year. Every yeah, every ten years is probably a good just to just to stir up the old nostalgia for me and uh, see a young Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes early in their career uh, getting their start in the biz. 
it's uh, worth checking out. Well, thank you, Ron, for joining. Everybody, be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who loves 80s flicks. Help us get the word out. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, thanks again, Ron, for joining. Always a pleasure to <laughs> to join as my headphone, uh, as my AirPod falls out of my ear. <laughs> always a pleasure to be on the, the, the podcast, sir. Uh, always enjoy hanging out with my best friend and uh, looking forward to the next yes, one sir. we do. Yes, sir. Always a pleasure to have you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. Peace. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.